This episode of Literolab is dedicated to flash fiction. The ultra-short story is everywhere at the moment. It's even just been given its own national day to celebrate it. But do micro-fictions, smoke-long stories and tweet-length tales offer readers something that more conventional narratives can't? Or are they just a flash in the pan in an age where fiction needs to fit into a status update? Callum Kerr, flash fiction writer and director of National Flash Fiction Day, which took place in May this year, explains what makes fiction flash. It's always a short, short story. I think that's one thing that's generally agreed on. From my point of view, it's to do with how it's written rather than how long it is or or how it's read. I tend to take a prompt and sit down with it without planning the story in advance and then just write and see where it takes me. And so it's that idea of writing it in a flash. Stories that can be dashed off in one sitting might be attractive to writers, but what's in it for readers? Flash fiction writer David Gaffney. Hopefully what people get from it is a rush of information all in one go and characters and a plot and kind of being suddenly ducked into a world um, and then pulled back out of it again. A sense of immersion, I suppose, in, in something very sudden. Tanya Hirschman, who has published two flash fiction collections, sees flash as a very particular kind of short story. If a short story in general is all about the ending, and I think it is really, then flash fiction even more so. It's almost all ending, but you don't necessarily have to leave anything out just because it's a very short space. You don't need to let go of having multiple characters, having dialogue, having backstory, having description. And I've got lots of examples of of flash stories that do all of those things. And you might expect that it would be very much compressed, but the best, I think the greatest flash stories feel expansive. They're the ones where you, afterwards you count the words and you think, how did they do that in 200 words? Vegetable Mineral by Tanya Hirschman I said, vegetable. Turnip, you said? Nope, ask a question. Are you a root vegetable? No, I said. Ask again. Are you in salads? You said. That depends, I said. Depends on what? On what you like to put in your salad. I lay on the sofa. You lay on the floor, your head by my feet. Are you chalk? I said. Chalk isn't a mineral, you said, blowing on your fingers. It's calcium, I said. So? So, that's a mineral. No, it isn't. Of course it is. I got up, one of my feet slapping you on the ear as I walked over to the window. Do you think if we had jobs it would be better? You asked from the floor. I hummed something which was supposed to be... Our love will keep us warm, baby. But halfway through, I couldn't remember if that was actually a song or something I'd invented. What? You said. I'll put the kettle on, I said. When you came back with the post, you held the letters out to me as if the red ink would burn through you like acid. Let's run away, I said. Barbados, Brighton, Bermuda, Brooklyn. Only bees, you said and slumped onto the couch. Today is brought to you by the letter B, I said. Animal, you said. Domesticated, I said as I shoved the bills down the back of the armchair. Depends, you said. Depends on what? If you could be bothered domesticating it. Has anyone, I said. What? Ever domesticated it, 
How the fuck should I know? You said, and you made movements with your hands, fluttering them in and out that could have meant anything on any day in any country in the world. We went out that night, you in my old jeans, me in your old tracksuit trousers, your arm through mine, five pounds in a pocket. We shared a half pint of something hopeful and sat in the corner. Does it eat other animals? I said. Yes. Okay, well, that's something. Ten more questions. I took a sip, then slid the glass towards you. I might do it, I said, looking out of the window at the rain hovering above the pavement. Don't, you said. I can't share half pints and trousers with you forever. Okay, here's a freebie. Sometimes it has a tail, sometimes it doesn't. It wouldn't be so bad. He wouldn't be such a nightmare, boss. I mean, what worse can he do to me now that he didn't do when I was a kid? The one with the tail, it can have twelve babies at a time. I mean, they're not called babies. But if I told you what they were called, that'd give it all away. If you sell your soul, can you buy it back later, even if it costs more? I said, and let that hang in the air while the half pint got warmer. The first day, I came home, and you weren't on the sofa, and you weren't in the bedroom. The bathroom door was locked. Come out, I said. I'm not a monster, just a working stiff. Animal, you said from inside. Only if you come out. Animal, I heard you sniffle, or it could have been a train. Fuck, come on. How long have you been in there? Animal. I went to put the kettle on. When it boiled, I took our mugs and stood outside the bathroom door. Animal, I said. Silence. Finally. Long head? No, I said, and sat down with my back against the door. I felt you on the other side, the ridges of our spine sinking into the plywood. Yours? No. African? Could be. I blew on the two T's. I sucked in my breath and thought that maybe I could hear you sucking in yours. I sat there with your mug and my mug. I imagined zebras, antelopes, wildebeests, mother lions and lion cubs. I pictured you, teaching the lion cubs party tricks, wearing my trousers. Domesticated, I said, and held both mugs up to my face, watching the way the dust motes danced through the steam and twirled around in the last of the afternoon light. Flash fiction has often been a vehicle for writers to play with thought experiments and push the boundaries of narrative. Tanya Hirschman again. My favourite flash stories have an element of the magical, of the surreal, and I think you can get away with doing something much, much more surreal in that short space, perhaps because a reader will give you that short space. They know that in a very, very tiny story, there's no room to explain. So they'll kind of let go of the need to know. And so I think perhaps you could go very surreal with a very, very short story. Franz Kafka used the very short story to explore challenging ideas, and the results can be ambivalent and perplexing. It's only 500 words long, but The Cares of a Family Man, first published in 1919, has had readers, critics and philosophers arguing over its interpretation ever since. The Cares of a Family Man 
by Franz Kafka. Translated by Willa and Edwin Muir. Some say the word Odradek is of Slavonic origin and try to account for it on that basis. Others again believe it to be of German origin, only influenced by the Slavonic. The uncertainty of both interpretations allows one to assume with justice that neither is accurate, especially as neither of them provides an intelligent meaning of the word. No one, of course, would occupy himself with such studies if there were not a creature called Odredek. At first glance, it looks like a flat, star-shaped spool for thread, and indeed it does seem to have some thread wound upon it. To be sure, they are only old, broken-off bits of thread, knotted and tangled together, of the most varied sorts and colours. But it is not only a spool, for a small wooden crossbar sticks out of the middle of the star, and another small rod is joined to that at a right angle. By means of this latter rod on one side, and one of the points of the star on the other, the whole thing can stand upright, as if on two legs. One is tempted to believe that the creature once had some sort of intelligible shape, and is now only a broken-down remnant. Yet this does not seem to be the case. At least there is no sign of it. Nowhere is there an unfinished or unbroken surface to suggest anything of the kind. The whole thing looks senseless enough, but in its own way, perfectly finished. In any case, closer scrutiny is impossible, since Odredek is extraordinarily nimble and can never be laid hold of. He lurks by turns in the garret, the stairway, the lobbies, the entrance hall. Often for months on end he is not to be seen. Then he has presumably moved into other houses, but he always comes faithfully back to our house again. Many a time when you go out of the door and he happens just to be leaning directly beneath you against the banisters, you feel inclined to speak to him. Of course, you put no difficult questions to him. You treat him, he is so diminutive that you cannot help it, rather like a child. Well, what's your name? you ask him. Odredek, he says. And where do you live? No fixed abode, he says, and laughs. But it is only the kind of laughter that has no lungs behind it. It sounds rather like the rustling of fallen leaves, and that is usually the end of the conversation. Even these answers are not always forthcoming. Often he stays mute for a long time, as wooden as his appearance. I ask myself to no purpose, what is likely to happen to him? Can he possibly die? Anything that dies has had some kind of aim in life, some kind of activity which is worn out, but that does not apply to Odredek. Am I to suppose, then, that he will always be rolling down the stairs, with ends of thread trailing after him right before the feet of my children and my children's children? He does no harm to anyone that one can see. But the idea that he is likely to survive me, I find almost painful. David Gaffney, whose collection Sawn Off Tales was made up of 150-word micro-stories, flash fiction's ability to present a vivid idea in a short space gives it a close relationship to poetry. 
I think it, it offers a distillation of ideas, so it's kind of a bit more like poetry, I guess. So it's offering, I think it's, it's like a hybrid between poetry and fiction, so it's kind of offering that precision that you maybe get from, from reading poetry, that, that sense of every word being carefully placed, and, and that sense of only what's essential to what you're trying to tell being there, but then what you're probably not getting in poetry, but you're also getting a plot and character as well at the same time. Tanya Hirschman agrees. I think at the beginning, I wanted to say this is not poetry. I don't, because I didn't know anything about poetry and I felt like I couldn't say anything related to poetry and I wanted to keep what I was doing quite distinct. But I've been introduced to all sorts of new poets over the past year. American poets like James Tate, who I think is so close to flash fiction, his, his poems. All of this exposure to different kinds of poetry has allowed me to see that maybe flash fiction is allowing poets to do something they might not have done before, some more freedom or, or some just some straddling of some boundaries that are becoming much, much more blurred. Flight by Vanessa Gebby there was a female sea lion learned to fly just the once on the night of a storm when waves were higher than they'd ever been, the walls were breached and rocks were strewn with things from the sea, living and dead and somewhere between. She flew to the cattle field behind the strand and fell to earth by the standing stones where a heifer, at her first attempt, had given up trying to give early birth lain down and died. But her bull-calf had come after all that. The next day, when the storm had blown itself out, the cowman came down to check that all was well, and found the new calf asleep against the body of the sea-lion, the rich milk on his muzzle smelling strangely of salt and fish and sea. I think most writers find this, that an idea comes into your head and you think, well, that's a novel idea because that's just so big. And that's a short story idea because it's going to be five, six thousand words. And then there's, sometimes there's just a snippet of something, a scene from a larger story which you think will tell the larger story without having to go into the details, which fits better to Flash. I definitely think that's one of the wonderful things about Flash fiction is I have ideas constantly. I think when you start looking for ideas, uh, you start seeing them everywhere. And writing very, very short stories where you can write one or two or three a day does allow you to explore as many more of these ideas. I like meeting all, lots and lots of new characters. So I like writing lots and lots of very short stories. I haven't quite decided if I write very, very short stories because I have a lot of other things to do, or I do a lot of other things because I write very, very short stories. I don't know, but I'm not worrying about it too much. But I do like using up a lot of ideas. I have many more ideas than I can ever use anyway. For David Gaffney, producing flash fiction is about finding the heart of a story. What I would tend to do is write quite long, uh, maybe even as much as I've cut down from, say, a thousand words down to 150 
quite often. I mean, mainly because I'm trying to find out where the story is and what's it about. So I find it quite useful to, to write quite a lot and maybe thinking actually the part of the story that really works well is the, the end part or the middle or the beginning or something like that. And you try and find where the, where the story lives within that big chunk of text. I find it more pleasurable than the writing. Actually, I don't know whether other writers find that, but I find the editing um, quite satisfying. That's one of the, the strengths of uh, good flash fiction, I think, is that sort of elliptical quality where things will move ahead onto another element without maybe giving you all the necessary joining up information. I think that's quite good because it gives a it means the story can be reread and it gives you quite a lot of resonance in the reader's mind, I think, to try and link up all the all these different parts and try and work out well, why why did that happen there? What 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 was missing? It's it shows a lot of respect for readers, I think, to give them that sort of um, give them that authority so they can move their way through the story without having everything laid out for them. Happy Place by David Gaffney He hated grocery shopping, hated the time it took, but he came up with a method. People bought the same things, more or less, so he would look for someone of his type, sneak up behind them, and roll their fully laden trolley off to the checkout. It made life interesting. Often there were things he would never have bought. Once there was a fat orange pumpkin. But today he was in trouble. He'd been stealing mostly from women because he liked the sense of order to their selections, but his victim had spied him and was stomping over. There were women's products in the cart, so it was going to be difficult. He decided to pretend he knew her. Darling! I'll just get eggs. We've got eggs, the woman chirped. Listen, do you want to go out to the car? You look stressed. You can listen to your tape. The rise in popularity of flash fiction in recent years owes a lot to the internet, with a raft of websites, blogs and online magazines dedicated to the form. Callum Kerr used his blog, Flash365, to publish a new flash fiction story every day for a year. It started with NaNoWriMo. You have to do 50,000 words in 30 days, and so you have to sit down and write something every day. And when I finished, I did it, I finished it, and had a, a little bit of time off, but started to get itchy fingers and thought, actually, that discipline of doing something every day works well for me. So in the January I did a month, I did 31 stories, and then again had a bit of a break and thought, why not, I'll do a year. So May last year I started and finished on the 30th of April this year with 365 stories done. Who's the Boss? by Callum Kerr Pretty, aren't they? asked the woman in the craft shop. I looked at her, confused, then down at the red pipe cleaners on the counter. I, I nodded. I suppose they are, I said. Going to be doing some craft, then? she asked. Uh, no. They're for my cat. The woman smiled. Oh, that's nice. I'm sure your cat'll love them. Back home, I tipped the pipe cleaners onto the table. They were red and shiny and the wires were excitingly bendy. I remembered hours of playing with this kind of thing when I was little. Then Tigger arrived. 
Afternoon, he said. Did you get them? I pointed to the pile on the table. He said, They look perfect. He started to use his paw to bat the pipe cleaners onto the floor. When he'd finished and was about to jump down, I cleared my throat. What? he said. Ah, uh, just one thing. Yes. Can you not smoke your pipe indoors? He looked at me and then gave a little feline shrug. I'll think about it, he said, and was gone. The current popularity of flash fiction and the recent media attention has prompted some criticism. Are short, short stories a worrying sign of the dwindling attention spans of a generation addicted to smartphone-sized narratives? As the brain behind National Flash Fiction Day, Callum Kerr has had to answer this charge before. I don't respond well to those kind of criticisms of flash fiction that, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to read. The thing with the flash fiction, because it is just a moment, but it embodies part of a much, much larger story, is that as a reader, you need to engage a lot more with the, the words in front of you to extract all of those meanings. So I think as a piece of work, it can stay with you a lot longer than a longer piece where you're given all of those details and you kind of sit back and, and let the writer give them to you. As a reader, you have to engage, you have to find those meanings, you have to tease them out. It's a bit like a puzzle. And because of that, it's the kind of piece of writing that's going to stay with you long after you've finished reading it. With a novel, you can finish a novel and go, yeah, that was great, put it down, pick up the next one, carry on reading. With a flash fiction, if it's a good one, you'll get to the end and you'll stop and go, okay, hold on, I need to think about that for a bit. And it'll make you pause and, and it'll stay in your mind. It'll be the kind of thing that you'll come back to and look for other meanings and tease them out because they're all hints and suggestions within the story rather than you being given them like you would in a longer form. David Gaffney sees modern consumption habits as being perfectly suited to flash fiction. If you look at the way people consume culture nowadays, attention span actually seems to have got longer. Uh, people will watch you know, a boxed set of The Wire or 24 or something like that, which is endless hours of um, a complex narrative, and people will sit and uh, watch that sort of thing for, for a whole day, possibly. Films have got longer. I think in a sense that people... Um, have a more sophisticated way of um, understanding narrative um, and, and that's sometimes misunderstood as being a short attention span and, and I think what, what, what it is is that people expect an awful lot delivered in a narrative. Flash fiction works like that but it's, I don't think it's the short attention span. I think it's the, the fact that people can and are able to understand uh, an awful lot of information delivered in a complex way. This is where we have suffered from the from the name flash fiction because flash sounds impermanent. It sounds like flash in the pan. Um, it, it doesn't sound very serious. It sounds like you can write it in a flash, read it in a flash, and it's not substantial. But I find that the flash stories that I read that I love stay with me in a way that not very much other other writing does. They can be incredibly intense. You have to focus when you're reading a short story. You can't skim. You need more attention, but for a shorter period of time. And even more so for flash fiction, there is no, if you're skimming a flash fiction story, the story has failed. So you need more attention for shorter time periods.
of Human Kindness, Buenos Aires, by Vanessa Gebbi. At the intersection, bifurcation, where the highway divides, the city that way, the river this, stands the wall of faces, where the traffic pours, cars, trucks, buses, veering, changing gear for the straight, where drivers hunch and clutch their wheels, sweat red on their foreheads in the sudden brake lights, Ave Maria on the rear-view mirrors, rosaries swing like censers, Benedictus fructus ventris tui. Old women wait on the verge in the early light, bearing offerings, baskets of cloth, eggs, blue bowls of fine flour, paper, pencils and nails, Old milk still darkens their clothes. The first closes her eyes and steps into the current, exhaust round her calves. No horns, no klaxons, no shouts. She becomes nothing but a bundle of bone and rag, followed by the next, the next, the next, their baskets and blue bowls rolling, spilling, breaking. Occasionally a mother reaches the wall and keens as she searches, right to left, low to high, back and back, her fingers on the buttons of her blouse as if they were beads. The drivers crouch lower, fix their eyes on the lights in case they see her bring a face down from the wall, peer at it, kiss the paper lips, open her blouse. Vegetable Mineral by Tanya Hirschman was read by Tanya Hirschman. The Cares of a Family Man by Franz Kafka was read by Greg Page. Flight and Of Human Kindness, Buenos Aires by Vanessa Gebbi were read by Claire Lacey. Happy Place by David Gaffney was read by Kenny Reed. And Who's the Boss by Callum Kerr was read by Richard Coworld. <laughs>